0: Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chris, and we are continuing through 2 Corinthians, and we got we got some stuff today that could be kind of interesting, maybe. Yeah,
1: let's hope, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the very first line we read, we started in Second Corinthians chapter six verse fourteen, and it says, "Don't team up with those who are unbelievers." How how does this fit with Jesus' friend of sinners and you know reaching out to the lost? What what do you think Paul's talking about here? You know, I, I think it's a it's a tricky conversation. I mean, particularly in our day and age.
0: Um, But I think that probably he starts to describe some of what he's talking about when he talks about his ministry teams. Like, the people that he's putting together to come to the churches, they're people that are very high reputation, and they're known as godly people. I don't think he's saying don't associate with ungodly people, but I think that when it comes to being the church and doing the church, if that's a verb, um... I think it's important that we're we're lined up in the right direction with similar people who believe similar things.
1: Yeah, I think there I think there's an element of that. There's probably also an element of remember that that Corinth had the whole thing of people engaging in sexual activity with temple mm-hmm. prostitutes and there's kind of some references here to this idea of union and God's temple and idols and I think there is a, another layer of application here would be in like Th- there is truth in, like, Christians should marry Christians. You know, how can you go with someone in a marriage that isn't believing some of the same things you are? Uh, we do see that, you know, sometimes he says, if one of you gets saved and the other one's not there yet, you don't have to leave. But I think even as we enter into these things, I mean, my kids tell me they there's a girl they think is kind of cute. My first question is, is she a Christian? Yeah, and it's, yeah of course. And it's, yeah, sure. You know, it's not just... Like, they're a horrible person, but that this is such an important thing uh, that it should be one of one of the qualifiers in well, this I mean, kind of relationship. If
0: your faith is important to you and it's how you make a lot of your decisions, surely if you're thinking through who you should partner the rest of your life with, uh, surely it must be some – there should be some value to your belief system in some way.
1: Yeah. So, Jesus and Paul are not on opposing sides here. I think they would be saying similar things. But there are things when it's like, okay, well, yeah, that wouldn't be a wise decision for you to partner up with an unbeliever in certain of these areas. And I think that that becomes
0: important with like, we're like, we're not saying you can't spend time with people who don't follow, follow Jesus. In, in fact, we should actually be spending sent, some portion of our time saying the opposite. Yeah, but when it comes down to like, there, I guess, I guess it's important to recognize there are parts of life where it's important to be with people who are aligned up in belief. And are making decisions accordingly, uh, to where we can support each other and care for each other and, and push each other in the same directions. Um, and it, it is important to pay attention mm-hmm. to when that's important, when it's not. I mean, if we want to, if we want to raise money for the community, say there's some cause, uh, say we're, you know, say we're supporting some like housing project or something, we can probably partner with unbelievers in that. Absolutely. And there's some pretty cool opportunities in partnering with unbelievers in care for community. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna be like, hey, how can who can we learn from? Who can speak to us today in our churches? Like, probably it's important that they actually love
1: God. So then we we also have Paul uh, taking a couple offerings here today. Yeah, this is interesting. I like I, I'm interested in this conversation. So there's a lot of giving going on. There is a lot of giving. Um, um, and if any of you are having like a trigger response, oh, here's two pastors going to start talking about giving. Um, I think it, this is actually. The passages we read, they're actually really beautiful uh, illustrations of what giving should be, you know, that it, it's not this, uh, it's not a give to get, it's not a, all the things that sometimes churches get labeled as being kind of weird for that they just want your money or it's a coercion or... A lot of times uh, that label is deserved. <laughs> well, there is, a, <laughs> historically speaking, yes, there has definitely been some abuse on this. But when you look at the the picture that Paul's talking about here, he's talking about, a willing giver, a joyful giver. There's mutual giving going even between churches. At one point Mm -hmm. he says, you know, you might be giving to this church right now, but at some point you're going to be in need and they'll give to you. Like there's actually some really beautiful parts to this spirit of generosity here that sometimes, you know, and just the way that things have not been done in the greatest way, we, we can miss the beauty of generosity. One of the things that I noticed
0: is that he does not put a number or an amount on it at all. He doesn't. Um, and actually his charge is pretty loose. Like, it's kind of like, Hey, if you can't right now, I don't want you to give what's there, there's a verse about not giving beyond what you can. Um, what, what does he say? Like, yeah, I, I noticed that too. Like basically like don't give to the point that you have nothing,
1: which coming from like a missionary background, sometimes you get into these spiritual meetings and it's like, God said to give it all away. And well, the, I mean, he can do that and stuff, but there is, uh, I, I like there's just balance here that it's like, it's, there's even part of this passage that says like, basically plan to give, like set aside some regularly so that when needs arise, you are, you're ready that sometimes we glorify the spontaneous or sometimes we glorify the, you know, just in the emotional frenzy of it. But it, there's also just a lot of practicality here.
0: This is, uh, I'm I'm talking specifically Second Corinthians 8, uh, 12 to about 15. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for ourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. That got my attention because that feels like not quite like what giving is represented Mm. is as often.
1: I think, in many ways, the the perspective the New Testament has on giving is it, it is different than the old. In the sense that old would they would lay out things very specific.
0: Was a lot more cut and dry. Like, it's hey, a lot this more is cut the and amount. Dry.
1: Um, I mean, I actually uh, listened to one of the, an Old Testament scholar one time. Somebody asked him the question, "What do you think the mandatory offerings in the Old Testament were? What percentage of income?" Yeah. Uh, and it's easy. Like a lot of times, we default. Well, it must be ten, right? Well, that was actually just one of their gifts. But the what Old Testament believers were expected to give or required to give was somewhere between twenty two and twenty four percent. So a tithe is actually not, not of kind of easy. Yeah. But the New Testament isn't as specific in all the details. It's more the attitude. It's the heart. It's yeah. It's really an obedience based giving. And I actually tend to think that if we do that, the Spirit might lead us to be more generous, not less generous. But like it's. People always want to know, like, what's the number? What's the fact? What's the figure? And I mean, with so many things in the New Testament, God's after our hearts more than he's after our keeping a a standard or a rigid structure. And so why wouldn't he be after our hearts with our giving as well? Like, yeah, that it could be out of this relational thing based on need, based on obedience. And I think if we live like that, we might realize actually my giving went up. It didn't go down. Yeah. If it yeah, really it, do it is funny to ask about giving in a way that's like. I just want to check the box. Mm-hmm. Um it does make and, me... Th- and this pat that's one of the things this passage isn't checking the box. It's you well, don't like, get that duty obligation. It is funny, like, like he's definitely giving the option that you don't have to
0: give it all. But he's saying, like, hey, like, it would probably be good if you would finish what you started. Mm. But I, I like and this may be very specific to this exact situation, but it is interesting to me how Paul's like pretty open-handed with it. Like, hey, if you want to give to these people, they need help, you should give. Um, if you don't, It seems like when you get around to it, you should get around to it, sort of. Yeah. It's a little strange. Um, It makes me think of Mark – I think it's Mark 12, where the the widow gives, like, the two coins, and Jesus is like, hey, she actually gave way way more than anybody. Um, But there had been plenty of people coming forward giving much higher Mm -hmm. amounts, but this widow gave, like, an exorbitantly high amount compared to what would have been available to her. And so, kind of as you're talking about, like, the heart – Like her heart was much more open than those that were like, yeah, please cheer for me Mm because I put money in the box.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting even as I've been uh, trying to teach my kids about giving a little bit. And, you know, kind of start with the like, okay, I'm going to help you to do this. But then how do you transfer it into them actually doing it? (laughs) How do you help someone Um, be generous? (laughs) Well, you know, when you control their bank account and (laughs) and what comes (laughs) in a paycheck, you can kind of say, hey, you know, here goes the 10%, you know, something Mm -hmm, like that. But mm -hmm. um. Much more than them just kind of checking a box, man. I want them the hearts of generosity.
0: I just, I very much like how Paul is, he's definitely introducing tension here, but he does seem to open the door to like, hey, if you're not giving, that's okay. But if you really want to give the way that God wants you to give, you should be really generous and you should continue to be generous, which oftentimes will lead us
1: over and above mm-hmm. the magic 10, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. Uh, 10 can be, I think 10 can be helpful as like a baseline. Yeah. You know, just like, hey, uh, to, to make sure, I would, I would actually say to make sure that's the minimum like you know is i mean that's kind of how we do it as a family i'm not saying that's law but like we just want to make sure like if i run some numbers and we're below that i was like oh man we got to find some people to give money to but uh that doesn't usually
0: well it's happen. tricky too because like so paul i also noticed um this is going to is is that fair They're, like it's going to the believers in Jerusalem mm-hmm. that's where this is headed um there's not a lot of overhead to this giving this is going to go directly to the the believers in Jerusalem mm. and paul's like sending people along this is kind of that idea of like multiple people involved so that there's no sketchiness going on right like he's saying hey these are really good christian men i'm sending them along i trust them but i'm sending additional people so that you can trust them Uh, but but they would have been able to say like this money's pretty much going to the believers Mm. this is going to help them um and it's going to be really really well stewarded i get a lot of times when people are cautious about their giving because they don't want to give to some super inflated weird structure where some dude's getting rich and, yeah. like, a couple people are getting fed.
1: Like, I understand that. Yeah, it, I do, too. I do. I mean, I am I have organizations all the time that uh, I'm just looking at as far as, like, you know, are these organizations that we can trust? Yeah. Um, that's part of my role here. And, and thankfully, there are a lot of great organizations, oh, of especially course. in this area. Yeah. Uh, but it's a real legit question. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense that there's tension there. Well, man, we're just... We're just solving the generosity dilemma and questions from every angle. Here the key
0: today. is we want to continue to be generous. We want to assist people yes. wherever possible. And we want to have a posture of giving. Mm. We're not going to give you like the the hand stamp
1: amount. Yeah. If, I think if generosity ever feels kind of like sticky or weird, like it's supposed to be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Like it should just... It, it should be a joy. And I think that the more that it can become a joy and less of an obligation, like we're on the right path. Do you know why the
0: believers in Jerusalem needed assistance? I think like, do you they know the were facing context? a famine, okay. uh,
1: if I recall. Um, I'd have to double check on that. But I, um, yeah, I think there was, there had been actually some, even, I have a slight recollection of natural disaster, but since I'm being recorded saying this. On, am, the spot, am, on the spot. On the spot. No
0: resources at arm's yeah, length.
1: I am a wavering a little bit in my certainty of that but i, I feel like there was a precipitating event that there was of, a
0: really clear need mm-hmm, that they could just yeah. speak directly into
1: yeah, but fact check me feel free on that one send him an email <laughs> all
0: right guys we'll see you again tomorrow uh coming into december actually here we go we're, all right. we're rounding
1: out so we'll see you then see ya bye second corinthians chapter six starting verse 14 Don't team up up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done any wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said that said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was the joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much he... You longed to see me, and how sorry you are for what happened, and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in death. Just, this, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose, then, was not to write about Who did the wrong, or who was wronged? I wrote to you to be in in the sight of God. You could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way you all welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you that, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that God's kindness is done through the churches of Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is of overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that you gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help with those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share it with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture said, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only only a little had enough.
0: But thank God he has given Titus the same enthusiasm for you that I have. Titus welcomed our request that he visit you again. In fact, he himself was very eager to go and see you. We are also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praise him as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see that we are honorable. We are also sending with them another of our brothers, who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. If anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you. And the brothers with him have been sent by the churches, and they bring honor to Christ. So show them your love, and prove to all the churches that our boasting about you is justified. I really don't need to write you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these believers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them And that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection, because of their overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I am begging you now, so that when I come I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds us up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I am not trying to frighten you by my letters, for some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak and his speeches are worthless. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. We are not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you, as if we have never visited you. For we were the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow, that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you, where no one else is working. Then there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. As the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. When people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is that the Lord commend them.